Well, good morning, church family. Let's pray together and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for these beautiful words that were just read over us. We praise you, Father, that you have set your love upon us, upon your your children through Jesus' finished work on the cross. And I thank you, Father, that you've given us instructions for marriage and for oneness in marriage. And I pray that right now in this room, Lord, even as this discussion, this topic generates all sorts of emotions and desires and longings and pain in many of our hearts, I just ask you, Father, would you, by your spirit, would you come and minister to your people? Would you speak to us, Lord? Would you bring healing into the places of our hearts that need it? Would you expose the sin in our hearts as it relates to this particular topic? We just invite you to come and do your work in our hearts in this time and show us your glory, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us uh, the past several weeks and really the past several months, you know that we've been working through Genesis. We just are wrapping up a series on origins from Genesis chapters 1 through 11, and we've circled back the last two weeks to review some important topics in Genesis chapter 2. We've talked about biblical masculinity two weeks ago, and then last Sunday we were discussing biblical femininity. And in theological circles, this, this conversation is, the topic is anthropology. That's the theological term for talking about biblical manhood and womanhood, humanity. And this morning, we are going to finish that discussion with a conversation about marriage. God's design for bringing together a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And we're going to talk about oneness in marriage. Intimacy, not only sexual intimacy, we're also going to talk about emotional and spiritual oneness and God's design for that. But even more so, I want us to prepare our hearts this morning to see how all of it is going to point us to Jesus and what he is doing in the world through his church. I want all of us to be listening this morning, not only for health and sanity to be restored to our hearts and minds as it relates to God's clear teaching about marriage and oneness in marriage, but also I I want all of us to be paying attention for the deep mystery that is the way that Jesus loves his church, which is what marriage and oneness in marriage points to. And so wherever you are this morning, I know that every one of us comes to this conversation with a lot of different emotions. Some of us in the room are married, and and my prayer is that this sermon would be something that strengthens you in your marriage and actually meets you where you are, perhaps in a season that's really challenging in your marriage, and that is something that, that buoys you and strengthens you and anchors you in the truth of God's word. But I also know that there's many in the room who hear, will hear this sermon and Perhaps you're, um, perhaps you're in a season of singleness. Maybe God's called you to singleness for a long period of time. Maybe that is something that he's put on your heart where you, you are content in your singleness and you don't desire marriage. And I just, I want to say like, this conversation is for you as well. The, the scriptures say, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And so I want to say to our single brothers and sisters in the room, 
Man, I can tell you firsthand, my wife Erin and I have benefited so much from deep friendships with single brothers and sisters from Seven Mile Road that have strengthened us in our marriage. So I want to ask you to be listening, even through the lens of how can I obey that command to let marriage be held in honor among all, to come to this conversation, thinking about how I can pray for my married friends. I know there's many in the room that are single and longing to be married. And I wonder in this time this morning, if you could hear God's design for marriage and, and the reality to which it points as an invitation for you to bring those desires to the Lord and allow him to satisfy your soul to where that is no longer something that you think that you need in order to be fulfilled, but that your heart would be satisfied in Jesus and you'd be able to trust him with his timing and his will as it relates to marriage. I know that there's other brothers and sisters in the room that are going to hear this in lots of different ways. Perhaps you're, you're dating currently or you're, in, you're engaged and you're moving towards marriage. I know we have brothers and sisters in the room who have walked through a divorce. And, and divorce is part of your story. And you're going to hear this perhaps with, with emotions that are, that are painful and difficult. And I'm praying that Jesus would meet you right there and help you see that marriage is about God. And he wants to reveal how much he loves you even through this discussion this morning. I know others in the room have lost a spouse. And, and this brings up all sorts of emotions as you grieve and miss your spouse. And brothers and sisters, wherever you're coming from this morning, can you hear this invitation that marriage is about God? And, and the reality to which marriage and oneness in marriage points is that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our souls. And the truth is, we will never be well married unless Jesus is the lover of our soul. And we will never be content in our singleness unless Jesus is the one who's satisfying us. And so hear this invitation this morning as we jump in that marriage is about God and if we do not really see and believe that, then we will make a God out of marriage and out of sexuality. And, and the results will be crushing in our lives. And so what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 2 and in Ephesians 5 is this. Marital oneness is created by God the Father. Secondly, we're going to see that oneness in marriage is sustained by the Holy Spirit. And finally, oneness in marriage Marital oneness is fulfilled in relationship with Jesus. And so before we jump into that, I want to show you guys a picture on the screen of, uh, of my kids. Um, Aaron and I have these three boys. Case is the six-year-old. Declan's the four-year-old. Tate is the two-year-old. And then baby Ellis is six weeks old today. And we're grateful for all of your prayers. And thanks for loving on our family. She's doing great. Aaron's doing great. Um, we're so thankful that she's here and we are exhausted. Um, and so if I break down crying at some point in this sermon, it's either because I'm exhausted or because the overwhelming emotion this week for me of praying through this passage and praying for each of you. And, and honestly, what's been on my heart as I've been preparing this sermon, I wonder if you can hear it this way. I'm really preaching this as if I'm preaching to them. In a lot of ways, like what I'm, what I'm gonna say this morning is, is me trying to process, like, what do I want them to know about God's design for marriage and God's design for oneness in marriage? So I wonder if you can hear it through that lens. Um, and I also, I put them on the screen as well because I want to extend this invitation for those of you in the room who, who perhaps are married and have children or married and long to have children or are 
longing one day to be married with children. I just I put them up on the screen to show you this and to tell you this. I've never been more aware than in studying this passage this week how tempting it is to make an idol out of marriage and out of uh, parenting, out of children. And, and, and so as we're working through this text, I'm gonna, there's gonna be several moments where I invite you to consider, are there ways in which you have made a good thing an ultimate thing in your life? Are there, are there ways in which you have, you have made a good desire, something that you must have? Because the only person in our lives whom we should say, I must have, is the Lord Jesus. He's the only one who can satisfy us in that way. So I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we plunge in. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 2. Marital oneness is created by the Father. Look back with me at verse 24. Here we are at the end of this creation account in Genesis 1 to 2. Moses gives us a summary statement here of all that God has accomplished. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And I'm going to read verse 31 as well from Ephesians chapter 5. This is now Paul in his New Testament treatise on, on marriage. This is the longest teaching section in the New Testament with instructions from the Lord through his apostle Paul about marriage. And he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. And here's what he says. In verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What we're seeing here is that marital oneness is created by God the Father. Did you hear the repeated words in those two passages? This idea of leaving one's father and mother. Leaving one's family of origin for the original hearers, this would have been startling. In a, in a society in which uh, family structures were so tight-knit, there was such deep loyalty between children to their parents and vice versa, for, for the teaching of the Lord to be, you were called to leave your father and mother because what he is establishing is a new family. This is, this is now your primary loyalty, your primary allegiance out of any human relationship. You're called in marriage to leave your father and mother and hold fast to your wife. This is covenant language. Hold fast, you also maybe have heard it as cleave, right? Leaving one's father and mother, cleaving. Hold fast in love. It conveys the idea of God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, his covenant love for his people all throughout the Old Testament. And here's this amazing and mysterious phrase, the two shall become one flesh. And as we hear that, like I know we've all heard that before, as we hear that this morning, I just want us to meditate on that phrase together, the two shall become one flesh, which is repeated. It is mysterious, it is miraculous. I want you to consider, how does this happen? If God the Father is the one who makes a husband and wife one, how does he do this? The scriptures say in Malachi chapter 2, last book of the Old Testament, kind of a strange place to look for instructions about marriage, right? There's this place in Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, and I'm just going to summarize it for you. It says this, Did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? There's this amazing, beautiful, mysterious reality that something actually happens on a wedding day. 
as husband and wife in the presence of God, in the presence of family and friends, enter into a covenant by declaring their vows to one another, God says, I'm a witness of that. I am making them one with a portion of my spirit in their union. I, the two have become one. Something has fundamentally changed. And I wonder if we can keep that in mind. I just want us to look back at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Let me just give you a little bit of context here. Do you remember how God went about this? It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Do you hear the pride of the father of the bride here. Like you could, you almost miss it here. It's so subtle. And we talked about it last week. Jeremiah beautifully explained the biblical freight behind that word helper, azair. But we hear that frankly, and we, we're almost like, huh? Like I'll make him a helper fit for him. I can't believe he said that. Like it feels less than, it feels inferior. And Jeremiah so hopefully last week helped us see that we actually, if we're reading through the lens of the original hearers, we would hear that word helper and be like, helper, I can't believe he said that. That is like, that is such a high and dignified and beautiful term. Only God himself, he's the only other person that can fulfill that role. It means strong support. It means it has a military connotation in other quotations in the Old Testament. It's this idea of one who has strength, who brings that strength to bear in the life of someone to the aid of someone who's lacking in strength, right? This is a strong and, and beautiful and dignified phrase here. And God is saying about his daughter, he's saying, she looks like me. She like he's beaming with pride. She's imaging me. She's reflecting me, bringing her feminine, beautiful strength to bear in the world. That Adam is unable to fulfill his commission from God, his calling, his vocation. He needs the strong support of God's daughter, Eve. And so in verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And so I can't, I can't read that phrase without thinking about the fact that I got, to, I got to officiate a wedding yesterday for a dear friend of mine. And he married an amazing woman of God who embodies so much of what we've been talking about with biblical femininity. And, and you guys have to remember, I'm a little extra emotional with a six-week-old baby girl. And so, I, man, I was sitting at the rehearsal dinner on Friday hearing this father talk about all of these beautiful qualities of the Lord that we've been discussing that he sees in his daughter and tears are running down his face and tears are running down her face. And then I got to watch him yesterday walk her down the aisle just beaming with pride. And that is the mental picture for me of what's happening in this passage. That Do you, do you see it? Do you see the Lord saying, this is like, I'm, I'm so proud of my daughter. I know how I've made her and she is strong and she is dignified and she is beautiful and she images me. She reflects me in a very precious, unique way that's distinct from how Adam images me, though he also is made in my image to reflect my glory. Do you see that oneness in marriage is created by God? We see it in this account. Um, I also want us to see that Jesus himself, when he is teaching about marriage, he's actually asked about divorce is the context of Matthew 19. But I want, to, I want us to see how Jesus talks about this same passage. 
I'm just building this case for you that God the Father is the one who makes this happen. And Jesus gives us a little commentary on this passage, which I'm always interested to hear his commentary. Um, And so Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And if you want Jesus' commentary on this passage, look at verse 6 of Matthew 19. So, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That is Jesus explaining this beautiful truth here that his father is the one who makes a husband and wife one on their wedding day. The reason why I belabor this point, brothers and sisters, is I want us to see that marriage is this beautiful, high calling that is created by God. It's it's something that he instituted and it is to be held in honor among all. Every one of us in this room are called to honor marriage. And one of the ways that we do that, whether we're married or not, is by praying for and strengthening and supporting our brothers and sisters in the room who are married. I, I alluded to it earlier, but like Aaron and I need help in our marriage. And I say that not to like alarm you, but like I just I just mean like we need help day in and day out, week in and week out. Like we need your prayers. We need your encouragement. We need you to to ask us how we're doing. Like I need my brothers in Christ and my sisters in Christ to ask how I'm doing and living out these biblical commands and where I'm struggling in that and what's hard for me right now. Like I just, as a brief aside, just want us to hear everyone, every married person I know needs help living into God's design for marriage. And every single person I know needs married friends and single friends who will strengthen them in this season that God's called them to singleness. Like struggles with loneliness at times. I mean, that's true of married friends I know as well. Like we need each other. I just want you to hear that. This is a high calling and we are called to hold marriage and honor among all. But let me say this. For a moment, I want us to look at verse 25. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In this context of God bringing together a man, a husband and his wife in this beautiful covenant, this is the context in which God says sexuality is a blessing. Like sex is good and right and not shameful in this context. It's another way you could translate naked and not ashamed is naked and not acting shamefully. And I just want to hear, even as I say that, like if what I'm doing here is explaining the biblical sexual ethic very clearly, and it's this, sex only inside of a covenant. That is only inside of marriage. The biblical sexual ethic is don't do with your body what you're not committed and covenanted before God to do with your entire life. Like before God has made you one, do not act out with your body what is intended to be a whole life reality of you being emotionally one and vulnerable and spiritually united by God's spirit. And so for my brothers and sisters in the room who are dating or engaged or single longing to be married, like I wonder if you can hear in the weight of this high call to marriage something that only God the Father can, can do by his spirit. Like Maybe you can do the back calculation back to the present day and say, if this is God's beautiful design for marriage and for sexuality, how then should I now live? 
Like, I'm not going to push this or that boundary emotionally or spiritually or physically. I'm not going to strive towards premature oneness before God has made us one. I'm going to hold marriage in honor. And I wonder for our married friends, like, man, this is the part of the sermon that gets really convicting for me. Think about this. Isn't it wild? I mean, Aaron and I get to do lots of premarital counseling, and we love getting to do it because it's good for our marriage. Um, And we love getting to be a blessing to other couples in that way. But isn't it amazing how before you're married, Satan does everything in his power to get you to sleep together. And then once you are married, he does everything in his power to prevent you from sleeping together. And, and the same, my married friends in the room know what I'm talking about. And, and the, you can do the same with emotional boundaries. Like before you're married, so often, guys, you want to just draw out her heart and get to know everything about her and ask all these questions that really are, are none of your business at this point. Like you really should let her sisters in Christ be there for her in that way. You're not her husband at this point, And you don't know that you're going to be her husband. But then once you're married, we can't get you to just sit on the couch and listen to her and like listen for the emotion behind her day. I mean, do you feel this? I do the same with spiritual. Like before you're married, you, you, you're like this spiritual guru and you want to have your quiet times together and you want to pray together and like you're confessing sin. And once you're married, we can't get you to lead spiritually. And, and I'm not coming down the guys. I'm talking to myself. Like I feel all of this. I just wonder if you can hear the invitation here to view marriage the way that God does. To see this from our Father's perspective, he's saying, let marriage be held in honor and let the marriage bed be undefiled because God is the one who creates marital oneness. But let's keep moving. Marital oneness is sustained by the Spirit. If you have your Bibles open, let's flip over now to Ephesians chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen. We'll be here the rest of the time. Marital oneness is sustained by the Spirit. And before we read verses 22 to 24, I just want us to see that you can't even really understand in the original language, in the Greek, you can't understand verses 22 to 33 literally until you have read what comes right before. Like there's actually no verb in verse 22 in the original Greek. This was stunning to me. It just says, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. You actually have to go back to verse 21, even to know what what is Paul talking about here. And verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the mindset. This is the call to all believers to have this mindset towards one another. The same mindset that was in our Lord Jesus that Philippians 2 talks about, to consider others greater than yourselves. He said, the greatest among you will be your servant. And so we are to have this mindset of you before me, I will lay down my own interests in order to serve you. I want to love and serve you because of how Jesus has loved and served me. All of us are called to that mindset towards one another in the church and certainly in the context of marriage. And and so what, what Paul is saying here is this is how this plays out in the context of marriage. In the context of the order that God has established for how wives and husbands are to relate Wives, this is how I'm calling you to love and serve your husband. Husbands, this is how I'm calling you to love and serve your wife. But I want us to see this before we get there. You can't even really understand how that's possible. Like, where are you going to get the strength to obey verses 22 to 33? Until you see verse 18. You see all the other verbs that come in this section here flow out of verse 18. Addressing one another, singing and making melody, giving thanks, submitting to one another. All of that flows out of verse 18. And the main command is be filled with the Spirit. 
Paul has already said in chapter 1 that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he's the guarantee, he's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But now he's saying, let your heart regularly, daily, hourly, moment by moment, be in this posture. Lord, I need you to fill me afresh and empower me. I need you, Father, to pour out your love into my heart by the Holy Spirit and to see how much Jesus loves me and really believe it so that I can move out into the world with this mindset. Do you see that we will never understand how verses 22 to 33 work unless we understand what it means to have that mindset, to live full of the Spirit? The, the, the tense of that verb, it's like in Old English it would be said this way, be ye continually filled with the Spirit. It's something that is done to you and yet you're posturing your heart like this, like an empty cup saying, Father, come and fill me with your Spirit so that I'm overflowing. Do you see it? And so now we can look at verses 22 to 24. What is God's design for marital oneness sustained by the Spirit? What role does the wife play in this beautiful drama that's unfolding, that's putting on display the glory of Jesus and his love for his church? Here it is. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so you hear it clearly in light of of the fact that Jesus has loved you and laid down his life for you, in light of the fact that you have his spirit ministering to you and you're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, this word here, wives submit, I know we hear it with our cultural lens and it's like nails on a chalkboard. I mean, trust me, I understand that. But I want us to see that biblically speaking, a zare is this strong support with military connotations, helper. And then submit is also a military term. It means to arrange yourself under the one who's been placed in a position of leadership. Like to give you a practical day-to-day example, many of you have a boss. I know some of you are a boss lady or, or a boss man, but many of us have a boss and we understand that just because someone's been put in a position of leadership over us doesn't mean that we're like less than them. Like we're equal as people, as human beings, and yet they've been placed in a position of leadership, you might be better at your job than they are at theirs, but they've been placed in a position of leadership over you, and so you, you, you bring all of your gifting to bear in the role that you've been given to play. And, and I just want us to see here in God's design, he's saying, hey, trust me on this. He's saying, wives, Trust me, I know how I've made you. I know that this is going to be good for your soul to arrange yourself under the leadership of your husband. Hey, he needs all the help he can get. He needs your strong support. Like arrange yourself in such a way where you're bringing all of your your, uh, strong, uh, beautiful femininity to bear on this relationship saying, we together as a team want to fulfill what the Lord has given us to accomplish. What would it look like for the wives in the room to see this as an honored way to follow Jesus and, and uh, follow his lead in the same way that he submits to his father? And then husbands. It's very clear. I mean, what role has the Lord given the husband to play? Both of us are called to this self-sacrifice for the good of the other and the good of the marriage, to serve one another in love. But let's see what the husband's role is here. Verse 25 says, husband, love your wives. 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or look down at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Or verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And friends, as I've been preparing this sermon, I I really have been overwhelmed with conviction and with sadness when I think about the fact that this is so rarely lived out. Like when we consider, when we consider the call to husbands, it is to die, right? It's to lay down your life, to look at how Jesus has loved you and the role that you've been given to play in this drama is to love in a self-sacrificial way, like your whole decision-making matrix is how can I lay down my own interests so that my wife will flourish, so that those under my care will flourish. And the the great sadness for me, I mean, the great conviction when I think about my own life is there's just so many ways that I'm failing in this every day. And I think we can feel it, the instructions to wives and husbands. We cannot live out our marriage vows apart from the Spirit of God's help. You can't do this in your flesh. And again, like, Part of holding marriage in honor is all of us praying for the brothers and sisters in the room who are married because we know that this is something that they need the Spirit of God to strengthen them to do. I know when we talk about this in the context of the church, like the sadness for me is I know for so many women of God, for so many sisters in Christ in the room, it's so hard to understand how God's design could be beautiful Because we've just never seen men lead like this. We've rarely seen husbands and rarely seen church leaders, elders, lead like this. And so I just want to invite you, like, would you pray for the leaders of Seven Mile Road? Would you pray for the husbands in the room to learn to follow Jesus' lead in this way? And say, yes, I will lay down my own interests. I will lay down myself. I will lay down my life so that those under my care flourish. Because this is how God has arranged leadership in the family and in the church to operate. What I want to do, friends, with our remaining time, there's so much that I want to say. But what I want to do with our remaining time to honor your time, I want us to see that in marriage, this, this idea of oneness in marriage, that this happens when we allow the Spirit of God to lead us. Like, I just wonder, married couples in the room, think about your most recent argument. Maybe it was like five minutes ago. Maybe it was on the drive over here at some point this week. I just wonder if you can just go back to that place and consider in that moment where something is said or some expectation is missed, like, what would it look like if instead of just reacting in the flesh— you paused and prayerfully responded in the spirit. Like, what would that look like if we could learn to pause and say, Lord, like in my flesh, I'm about to do the opposite of what verse 22 to 33 says. But I need your spirit to remind me that I am loved and forgiven and accepted by Jesus. And like, I want to respond in a way that is loving and serving. What would that look like if we began to be a church family in which the marriage is operated that way. And as we move to this next point, and we're going to close here, marital oneness is fulfilled in relationship with Jesus.
Brothers and sisters, I feel a burden in my heart to share with all of you that if we really knew the way that Jesus loves us collectively, like all believers throughout all time, and if if you and I knew how much he loves us personally, individually, we would not look anywhere else for satisfaction for our souls. If we could actually see the way that he loves us. And so what I want us to, what I want us to do with our remaining time is we're just going to read back through verses 25 to 30. And what has just wrecked me this week is that this passage, which is all about marriage, is actually all about Jesus. And I know that that maybe is very simple for everyone else. For me, it just like hit me right in the face this week. Like this is all about Jesus. Did you hear it in verses 25 to 30? It says, husbands, love your wives. There's a little bit about husbands there, but, but hear the rest of this. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm going to skip verse 28, because it's also about husbands, but I want to see verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And verse 32 says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Brothers and sisters, whether you are called to singleness, to the glory of God, displaying this contentedness that Jesus is enough for you, or whether you're called to marriage, to play a particular role, to put on display the way that Jesus loves you, regardless of what you're called to in this season, I want us to hear this. Unless we receive this, this love that was being described here in verses 25 through 30, like unless we really hear this and receive this, unless the Holy Spirit makes this real to our heart, we, we will live in our marriage in a way that's unhealthy, and we will live in singleness in a way that's unhealthy. Or said another way, when you receive Jesus' love, when you realize that your maker really is your husband, the Lord of hosts, and his is his name. Like when his love becomes real to your heart, you will be prepared to live well in marriage in a way that, that honors him and that reflects what we read in verses 22 through 33. And you will be prepared, if God's called you to singleness, to, to live out what 1 Corinthians 7, what Paul says, that undivided devotion to the Lord, where people will see, whoa, Jesus is glorious because this person's soul is satisfied in him. Or in marriage, Jesus is glorious because the way that this husband and wife are serving one another in love. Do you see it? Do you see what God's doing in marriage and in sexuality? Friends, I want you to hear this. When, when our brother Sam Albury came back in February, I mean, I, I don't know that I've been ministered more in my marriage than from this single brother in Christ, who's a phenomenal Bible teacher. I mean, it, it was so strengthening for me to hear him say that you do not need to be married and you do not need to be having sex in order to be a complete, whole, fulfilled, satisfied person. What you do need, though, is intimacy with Jesus. And you need intimacy, like spiritual friendships in the church. Do you see it? Whether you're called to marriage or to singleness, what you need most is you need Jesus. You're looking for Jesus. Don't, 
don't let marriage be something that you view as ultimate or sex be, be something that you view as unless I have this, then I won't be I won't be complete. I won't be fulfilled. I won't be enough. The only person that you should say that about is Jesus. And he has offered himself freely to you. He is saying, open your heart to me and I will satisfy your soul. And you will finally be able to live in singleness to the glory of God in a way that's content and satisfied in him. You'll finally be prepared to live well in your marriage. For anyone in the room who doesn't know Jesus in this way, would you invite him even today to reveal himself to you? Because his love truly is better than life. Amen. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, I know that these words hit us all in different ways. And frankly, Father, I just feel my own weakness, um, even in, in the way that I've delivered this truth. And so I just pray, Father, that you would minister to your people by your spirit, that your word would be all that we remember and it would just be echoing in our hearts and minds. Would you teach us, Lord, to truly live in undivided devotion to you? Would you teach us to rest in your love? We thank you, Jesus, that you laid down your life for us to forgive us of all that we have done all that we have done that brings us shame, that causes shame to rise in our heart, you're able to bring healing in those places. And all that's been done to us, Lord, you're able to heal us. So please, Lord, heal the brokenhearted in the room and help us to live as your people in our city for your glory. Amen.